Welcome to Let's Race, a journey to educate and eradicate, a teen-produced podcast aiming to educate about the role and impact of race in the United States, with the goal of eradicating systemic racism one step at a time. Each week, I'll be joined by experts specializing in topics concerning race, and they'll share their wisdom on how we can make a change in our community. My name is Elizabeth Choi, and I will be your host for this podcast. In today's episode, I will be joined by Dr. Nevin, who will be sharing his insight on the role of race in upper education. Dr. Nevin is the first member of his family to attend college and received a doctorate of education in educational leadership and administration, a master's degree in public policy and administration, and a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. He currently works closely alongside students as an associate vice president and executive director of the auxiliary enterprises at Cal State Long Beach and as a member of the adjunct faculty at Kansas State University. Okay, so I wanted to start off by asking, what inspired your interest in race and education? Sure, well, I'll start by um, just quickly describing my interest in this career of higher education. Um, You just mentioned in my bio that I got a criminal justice degree when I was an undergrad. And I did that because I wanted to go into law enforcement. um, I had some extended family that were in law enforcement and it seemed like an interesting uh, an important career to go into. Uh, but while I was in college, I got really involved in student government and uh, fraternity life and clubs and organizations. And I really developed this um, appreciation for uh, what happens in student life in college campuses. Uh, I really appreciated what my advisors did for me, the relationships I had with faculty advisors and my clubs and so on and so forth. And it just sparked this interest in having a career in higher education myself. And so that's really um, why I diverted away from law enforcement and, and chose uh, chose this career. It is the experience I had as an undergraduate at Cal State Long Beach, um, that first time in my life being in a diverse institution that exposed me to different kinds of people, really, um, and the different experiences that people have and backgrounds they have and how that informs who they are, um, the barriers they face, um, and their overall, you know, life lived experiences. Prior to that, I came from, uh, I lived in Costa Mesa. My high school experience was in Newport Beach. My elementary and middle school experiences were in a parochial school in Costa Mesa. So I was typically around people that looked like me. Um, and generally had similar backgrounds as me. So it was that undergraduate collegiate experience at a large urban university um, where I was exposed to um, a Black, Latino, Asian, you know, other peers and um, really started exploring the ideas of race and ethnicity and equity and those those constructs. So um, I obviously deal with them every day now as a college administrator. And they're very important to who we are and what we do here for a variety of reasons that I know we're going to talk about. Uh, So I'll just uh, stop there for the first question. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for that. Um, Yeah, I I liked your comment about how clubs and the teachers that you interacted with um, in your in your undergraduate life um, really influenced your decision to move away from like law enforcement to higher education. And yeah, as someone who's heavily involved with student affairs, how have you personally witnessed the systemic constructs of race acting in student lives? Uh, it happens every day in various ways. Um, I, I will give a few examples. Um, an important issue on our campus right now is how we serve students from vulnerable backgrounds 
in identity centers that allow them to feel safe, um, allow them to connect with their community, and then allow them to um, uh, be better retained at the institution, feel a sense of belonging, feel like they're truly engaged with the faculty, with the staff, with their peers, and with the curriculum that they're learning uh, that is ultimately going to get them to their academic goals. Um, so I think that's important for any student affairs or student services division on a college campus, whether they have centers like those or not. Um, those centers are really important because at an institution like ours that is a commuter campus in a diverse community, um, we need to be proactive in providing those spaces to students so that they can find a home and can feel like this institution belongs to them. Because the fact of the matter is, students that don't look like me will access institutions like these and oftentimes not feel that sort of connection. And that can be really alienating. It can, it can make them feel like they, they don't belong there. And so then maybe they don't wanna come back. And we know um, from the research and anecdotally that students will stop out in college for reasons just like that. If they can't find that center, if they can't find that person to, to be their mentor, if they can't find a peer that's you know a meaningful relationship, um, they may not come back. And, and that doesn't help them. It doesn't help their family. It doesn't help our society uh, because no one's benefiting at that point. So I think identity centers, cultural centers, um, clubs that pay attention to certain cultural backgrounds, um, I think that whole kind of universe of student services is really, um, really critical. I think another thing that's important, um, both inside the classroom and outside the classroom, is our students um, just having folks that look like them or have had a similar experience to them. And so it's important for people like me when I'm working with students, for our faculty who are teaching students in the classroom and, and on down the list to uh, talk about their own backgrounds and the things that they've overcome. And I think to try to find connection points to our students. Um, to, you know, to do that intellectually is one thing, but also to do it socially, um, to kind of put on the advising hat, regardless of your role on a college campus. Like, you know, our students will really benefit from that. Um, and those singular moments can be the difference in a student, you know, finding a connection to an institution, staying, being successful, and maybe not. Yeah, definitely. Um, I really like that you mentioned um, just like connecting backgrounds to each other, racial backgrounds, regardless of like what your race is. And I guess going alongside that idea, how has your own racial identity influenced your experiences and roles as a leader in higher education? Yeah, I mean, I um, I'm not a part of a uh, ethnic minority, obviously, uh, of a racial minority. Um, and so these are these are ideas that I've um, my understanding of, of these constructs has really developed over time. Um, and that's been difficult. You know, I've, I've had to challenge my own uh, beliefs and assumptions, recognize that uh, I myself and, and the places I come from um, create certain biases and um, assumptions. And I've really had to unpack that over time. And that's happened both for me personally and also as a professional in higher education, you know, trying to do the best I can do by my students. Um, so I'm on a journey like everyone else, but my particular journey is one as someone who has a lot of privilege and has benefited from that privilege. And I've been able to recognize that through conversations like these in my profession, in my industry. Um, and that's really helped humble me and allow me to understand 
what students who look like me, but also students from disadvantaged backgrounds are going through. So it, yeah, it takes all voices, right, in these spaces to um, move the needle. And so that's that's been kind of one of my experiences. You know, I, I can remember back to my first um, opportunity in uh, exploring diversity, equity, inclusion work. And it was as an undergraduate student at a conference I went to called the Human Relations Summit. It was here at Cal State Long Beach. And it brought together students from various ethnicities, took them to the mountains, and it was about race relations. And it was really tough and just really, really difficult and hard. And I remember at the time really fighting back on a lot of the concepts that were given to us at that at that uh, summit. Um, I remember at the time thinking racism meant one thing. And today I think it means something completely different. Um, again, because it was, you know, I had some relative ignorance and again, those assumptions that I had. So that was the first opportunity, but it's continued over my career. And I really think everybody needs to be paying attention to this kind of work, but especially as an educator, when we're trying to truly serve students from all backgrounds, we have to embrace this work. And so that's something that we do at this institution and that I really appreciate is it's really, the money is behind it. Um, the people are behind it. Uh, leaders talk about it. And all of that really matters uh, if we're going to truly, um, you know, walk the walk. Yeah, I think your journey is very inspirational. And just talking about how you've grown from when you were an undergraduate and um, kind of like what your how your conception of race has changed over time. And I remember I was actually interviewing someone else um, a few weeks ago, and she was talking about ethnic studies. And she told me about, or I was telling her about um, a white teacher at my school, and he's currently teaching one of the ethnic studies classes. I think it's um, people of color in literature. But I think one of my friends was taking that class, and she mentioned that he didn't feel comfortable teaching that class because of his identity as a white man. But then when I was talking to um, the person I was interviewing, she was saying that it's important that everyone, like including white people, recognizes that they are a racial and cultural being. And I think that, yeah, it's just really important to recognize that and um, yeah, recognize also like, the privilege that comes with it, but um, relate to those experiences with other people, regardless of race as well, which is what you were saying. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, and one thing I would say in response to that teacher is, um, well, first, I, I feel sort of un un that that's unfortunate. I feel sort of bad for them. Um, but they should be in an environment where they feel like they can take risks and be vulnerable and maybe even say at the beginning of that course, hey, as a white man, I feel a little uncomfortable teaching this subject, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to do it for these reasons. Um, that's the kind of environment we're trying to create here where everybody, regardless of their background and their level of proficiency on DEIA work uh, is at, you know, can do the work because it takes everyone. And it's, it's, it's a community that's evolving together. It's not us all as individuals, you know, trying to just solve a quick problem. Uh, DEIA is not, you know, something that's quickly solved with a solution. It's about ongoing work. So, um, you know, uh, I, I do feel bad for that person. I think there's ways that, in which they could feel comfortable doing it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you sort of touched on this earlier about um, advocating for race, especially as an educator. But why is it so important to be proactive as a race advocate, especially for university faculty members? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's important everywhere. But you look at an institution like mine, um, with 40,000 students, um, thirty percent of the students we serve are from a Latino background, Latinx background. 
Um, about 30% of our students have an Asian AAPI background. Um, recognizing that that means a lot of different things. You know, there's a lot of sub-Asian communities. Um, about 5% of our population is black um, and so on and so forth. So it's an extremely diverse environment. And we know that when you have a diverse environment, you have diverse backgrounds and a lot of disadvantaged backgrounds um, because society is not created equally. There's systemic racism that exists. Um, you, you know, we have to assume that going in and we, and we know that's true in institutions. Education is just one of them, healthcare, law enforcement, you know, the judicial system and so on. So if you have, if you recognize you have an environment like that, you have a population like that to serve, you have to put on an equity lens in order to properly serve those populations. Because if you're serving everyone in the same way, you're going to be missing certain communities. So race uh, and ethnicity exists. People come differently prepared, um, differently advantaged, differently privileged. And so if we think in terms of uh, educational equity, you know, specifically for our industry, we know we're in the business of educating. So educational equity is about identifying what each community needs, what each individual needs in order for them to be successful. And that is important because we're trying to change society. You know, we are here doing a very specific job. We are trying to prepare a workforce for California and the nation um, that changes people's lives, changes families' futures, and also builds an economy. And so doing that with an equity-focused approach is the most effective way to do it. And we needed that because we're such a diverse urban institution. Um, and as long as we are, we have to do it that way. And so that's really why it's important, why it's important to, it should be important to all of us, why it's important to me. Um, and in each community, you're going to have different constructs that matter, but that's what really matters here. Um, and, and that's just kind of the way I like to define it and describe it to people. I really like to center it on what our population looks like and what our job is. And when you connect those two dots, I think it's a no-brainer. We all have to embrace this work. Yeah, I really like that you um, kind of defined what equity was. I know that there's kind of a talk between like equity versus equality, but yeah, I like that you like clarified that equity, it's not necessarily just giving everyone the same thing, but kind of like giving them what they need and based on the constructs of an unequal system. So yeah, right. and yeah, this is sort of kind of following along that last point, but how do you and other faculty members actively promote racial equity and race inclusive policies at the universities that you work at? Sure, I mean, we have to be champions of the work. So I think we have to talk about it. Um, we talked about different levels of comfort, like that example of that teacher you talked about. Um, you know, we have to talk about issues, um, current issues that come up. When, for example, a couple of years ago, we had all of the um, Black Lives Matter protests as a result of George Floyd and others who were, um, you know, so so brutally harmed them and their families by law enforcement and just by, you know, the systems that are impacting them in our communities. Um, we talked about that. You know, we don't, we don't shy away from those issues like so many do. Uh, we put out statements, which alone don't do the work, but are a start. So, you know, we did, we put out statements, letting folks know in our communities that we are thinking about them and we see them. Um, we check in on folks that we know might be in pain. Uh, recently, when there was the, um, just those really brutal murders in Monterey Park at the nightclub, 
um, what was that about a year ago, year and a half ago, you know, we, we did some targeted messaging to students that we know are from that region who are likely to be of Asian background. And we just said, we're thinking of you and we're checking on you. And if you need any resources, you know, text us back and here's some other mental health resource links. So it's being proactive in all those ways. Um, we've really tried to require professional development in this area uh, of our faculty and staff so that they are feeling more comfortable and that there's accountability also. So making sure that they're getting trained on an ongoing basis and then, you know, goals are associated with those trainings and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, when you talk about anti-racism, which is a, a relatively new concept, that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about leaning into the issues that are happening around us and discussing them, um, unpacking them, and then having conversation that allows folks to feel seen and heard um, and for us to all grow together. So I think that's one way of doing it. Since we have a bully pulpit, since we're spokespeople and since students are often looking at us for uh, thought and for support and mentorship. Yeah, it's really great that um, you and the other faculty members are doing your part in like, reaching out to students, especially those who might be affected by these racial issues. And yeah, I think that's really great. Um, so lastly, I have one last question. What are some ways that young adults can promote racial equity and create change in our community? Well, I think so much of this change is happening because of people like you. Um, you know, you are you're clearly a leader because you're a scout, which, you know, in and of itself, <laughs> I, I was a scout as well. And I have oh, so okay. much respect because um, it's such a powerful organization, you know, uh, worldwide and what, what's happening in scouting. Anyway, I'm not going to go off on a team. <laughs> Um, I'm a big fan, but you, you are doing your, um, final project and you've chosen this topic and you've chosen this topic because it's important to you, but it's also because it's topical in our community and people need to hear it. So I think this is an example of what we need. Um, so our young people need to feel, um, encouraged to continue that kind of work. Um, that's happening here in our student government where, uh, on our legislative agenda through our student government board, we're encouraging um, resolutions that support our immigrant communities, um, you know, that support advancing Black student success, you know, so on and so forth. Um, that is really what we need because it's contemporary thought, typically from our younger people, from our students, uh, that help us to understand the needs of uh, our greater society. And that's, that's why, for example, on a campus like this, you have a Dream Resource Center. That's why we have a pantry that's serving students with housing and food insecurity. It's why we have a community garden that is producing healthy foods and teaching students how to cook. And you know, all these issues are so connected, right? You know, those aren't necessarily race or ethnic issues, but you know, folks who are suffering are suffering in many different ways. And if they're disadvantaged, they're disadvantaged in different ways. And so it's, you know, it's, it's respecting the thought of folks who are coming behind us and recognizing that every voice matters and we as a community can solve these problems together. That's the beauty of higher education and what we do here. Um, some in society are attacking that kind of notion, right? That, phil that philosophy of a liberal uh, dialogue and liberal education, but it's really what has helped us become who we are as a society. It's helped us develop our identity and it's part of education. That's what I love about what we do. We are you know, this microcosm of a community that's uh, just exploring, you know, the world and, and making change. So um, I think that's really important. And that's, that's the work that we're going to continue doing as we advise students. 
Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you found it informative, be sure to follow us to stay updated with our weekly releases. Let's race again next time.